we have two paragraphs to finish of the article we were reading about encounters, and then we'll read the article about Dogen. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay, so I will share. We just have two paragraphs left of this one, and I will share it. So one of the things it was saying, it, this is all about ancient encounters in, in um, China and how the koans came from these encounters. And it reminded me that Peg kept saying, you have to look at the relationship in the, um, in the koan. And so we have the relationship between the the monks, the two groups of monks who were having encounters between the monks and their teacher, and between um, Zhao Zhou, who comes and puts the sandals on his head. And that that encounter, there's a number of like overlapping interwoven encounters. So <coughs> we have, um, I also suspect, and let's read alphabetically. And so uh, Cody is first. I also Just, suspect that the compliers of the transmission of the lamp genre were not above pulling a pointer or a phrase out of an older document and building an anecdote around it. <clears throat> Occasionally, you might notice that an anecdote about Master X is basically a tweaking of one about Master Y. Some of the stories might be based on monastic legends and folk tales about the old masters. And the lamp genre that they're talking about is are the stories about various uh, patriarchs and how they got enlightened. And then the last, uh, Emily. And yes, sometimes we find entirely new stories emerging in the lamp literature. According to Demulin, in the Jingde lamp record, the Buddha signified transmission to his disciple Mahakashyapa by exchanging robes with him. But we find in the Tian Sheng Guang Deng Lu of 1036 that the Buddha silently held up a golden lotus and Mahakashyapa smiled. Seeing the smile, the Buddha told the assembly, I possess the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of Nirvana. I entrust it to Mahakashyapa. This is... Just a sec. That's it. That's the uh, last sentence. This is the earliest known version of the flower sermon story, which is told to Zen students to this day. So Nelda and I were having a talk earlier today about this golden lotus, and we made up stories about how it was, well, one possibility is it was actually like a one-of-a-kind lotus made out of gold. The other is maybe the sun was hitting it. Um, Maybe it was golden just because he saw the beautiful quality, the uh, the life in a flower. 
Or maybe that, it wasn't even golden at all. And maybe it wasn't golden at all. Uh, so then my wife and I at dinner were arguing about this, this, uh, this golden lotus. And she was saying that it's all three. And um, then I looked it up on Wikipedia. First, I looked it up and found in Dungeon and Dragons, there was this, there's this, uh, was this uh, thing on the web of how to get to the golden lotus. And then I found it finally on Wikipedia. And it does appear in China in elevated places. And um, it's not actually a lotus. <laughs> it's related to the banana plant. And um, anyway, so so it was funny, you know, just one more example of how we make up stories and we don't know very much. So anything else in what we just read before we go to the article about Dogen? Okay. So, Dogen, come here. As you're looking, Kim, I want to thank you again for being monitor and bringing this time of study and togetherness to us. I know you've had a lot on your plate lately. <laughs> and I'm very grateful that in addition to and despite that, you are still here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We had a good Dharma talk Sunday, and one of the things that this person did, Rosemary, is she talked about all the things she was grateful for. It was such a beautiful um, business. You'll enjoy that, all of you, if you when it gets um, posted. Okay, so uh, we'll read again in this order. So Emily is read, and so Kim's next, then. Uh, Malin, and then uh, Nandia, and then Nelda, right? Okay. Who is arguing about the cat, moral action and enlightenment, according to Dogen? And this is from the Zen site, 1997, and by Douglas Mickelson, who is Assistant Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Hawaii. Once Ijo asked, what is meant by the expression, cause and effect are not clouded? Dogen said, cause and effect are immovable. Ijo asked, is this so? How can we escape? Dogen replied, cause and effect emerge clearly at the same time. Ijo asked, if this is so, does cause prompt the next effect, or does effect bring about the next cause? <coughs> Dogen said, if everything was like that, it would be like Nanshan cutting the cat. Because the assembly was unable to say anything, Nanshan cut the cat in two. Later, when Nanshan told his story to Chow Cho, the latter put his straw sandal on his head and went out an excellent performance. If I had been Nancham, I would have said, even if you can speak, 
I will cut the cat. And even if you cannot speak, I will cut it. Who is arguing about the cat? Who can save the cat? And now, Malin. Zen Buddhism has often been attacked as an uh, amoral, even immoral, religious tradition. In support of such claims, critics sometimes cite anecdotes wherein a Zen master action is clearly moral, immoral by conventional moral standards, such as the following passage from the Mumonkan title, Nansen cuts the cut in two. Nansen Osho, Chin, Nanchuan, so monks of the eastern and western halls quarreling over a cut and held up the cut and said, if you can give an answer, you will save the cut. If, if not, I will kill it. No one could answer and Nansen cut the cut in two. That evening, Joshu Chin Chao Chu returned and Anson told him of the incident. Yoshu took off his sandal, placed it on his head, and walked out. If you have been there, you could have saved the cat, Nansen remarked. True story or not, this koan does pose a challenge to those who love cats. Oh, to those who <laughs> defend Zen Buddhism against its moralistic critics. As we shall see in his appropriation of this koan, Dogen's own moral vision becomes manifest. Since Dogen's commentary on the Nanchun story is embedded in section 1.6 of the Shobo Genzo Zui Monkey, we should actually start our close reading with the beginning of this passage in order to appreciate the context of his remarks. The opening line reads as follows. Once Ejo asked, what is meant by the expression, cause and effect are not clouded? This expression is found in the famous koan known as Yakujos Jin Pochang or Pai Chang, Fox. The following is the first part of the story as it appears in Mumonkan. I think it's, it's pronounced Mumonkan. Okay, Nelda. Mm -hmm. When Hiakujo Osho delivered a certain series of sermons, an old man always followed the monks to the main hall and listened to him. When the monks left the hall, the old man would also leave. One day, however, he remained behind, and Hiakujo asked him, Who are you standing there before me? The old man replied, I am not a human being. In the old days of Kashyapa Buddha, I was a head monk living here on this mountain. One day a student asked me, does a man of enlightenment fall under the yoke of causation or not? I answered, no, he does not. Since then, I have been doomed to undergo 500 rebirths as a fox. 
I beg you now to give the turning word to release me from my life as a fox. Tell me, does a man of enlightenment fall under the yoke of causation or not? Kyakujo answered, he does not ignore cloud, causation, cause and effect. I'm going to read that again without the brackets. He does not ignore causation. No sooner had the old man heard these words than he was enlightened. And it's interesting that Dogen, um, in explaining one koan, writes about another one, you know, and how they're all interrelated. And I think we've been saying that. So, uh, uh, Cody, you're next. Causation in this passage refers to moral causation. The Buddhist concept of karma acknowledges that good, bad deeds, thoughts, <clears throat> and so forth result in good, bad effects. Thus, the important of the question posed by the fox is whether or not the enlightened person is subject to karma. Hayakujo's answer in effect, affirms that the enlightened person is subject to moral causation. Katsuki Sakida offers a common Zen interpretation of this passage in his comments. Thus, to ignore causation only compounds one malady. To recognize causation constitutes the remedy for it. Dogen's employment of this story in the Daishugyo chapter of the Shobogenzo implies that, on one level, he thinks Yakujo's answer indeed provides a remedy for the old man's predicament. Yet Dogen was rarely content with merely citing traditional Zen interpretations of passages. Typically, he sought to push his students to a further understanding by a creative reinterpretation of a passage. Lest his disciple therefore think this not ignoring recognition of causation is de facto a release from it in an ultimate sense, Dogen answers that the passage means cause and effect are immovable. In other words, moral causation for Dogen is an inexorable fact of human existence. Given this fact, Ijo then asked, how can we ever escape moral causation? Dogen's response is ignomatic. Cause and effect arise at the same time. Nowhere in the Shobo Genzo Zumanki does he further clarify this passage. However, the key to understanding this statement can be gleaned from his discussion of causation in the Shokum uh, Kuza chapter of the Shobo Zenzo, where he observes that cause is not before and effect is not after. As he, Jim Kim, explains, Dogen saw cause and effect as absolutely discontinuous moments that in any given action arise simultaneously from thusness. Therefore, and Dogen had all this stuff about 
about time and uh, we did a whole intensive about it and basically it's not time as a timeline but but things occurring um, I don't know if it's a good description at the, at the same time but it's a whole different view of time so so that <laughs> things kind of are in that sense no sooner does one realize or act according to a particular course of action than are the results therefore heavens hells and otherwise realized in it man lives in the midst of causation from which he cannot escape even for a moment nevertheless he can live from moment to moment in such a way that these moments are fulfilled moments of moral and spiritual freedom and purity in thusness thusness is like things as they are we we had another um koan with thusness didn't we oh yes where he get he said uh manjushri says um the dharma is thus and then he gets off the chair his seat okay and next is Malin, isn't it yes yes just a second uh what is that um footnote takes you just where the where are the the references yes. okay Okay, with you, how do I get back? <laughs> okay, so thanks for asking. So now we know we're not to go to footnotes, that they're, you know, not more explanation, just the reference. Okay, here this, we go. Thank you. This analysis enable enables us to make sense of the third question and answer exchange between Ejo and Dogen. Ejo asks, if this is so, i.e. if cause and effect emerge at the same time, does cause prompt the next effect or does effect bring about the next cause? Dogen replies, if everything were like that, it could be like Nan Xuan cutting the cut a reference to the koan from the Mumonkan seated above. Ejo's question reveals that he has not understood Dogen's previous answer, and it is still bound by the notion of continuous cause and effect. Dogen's reply is that if cause and effect were like Ejo's conception and not understood as discontinuous moments of cause and effects, in effect, grounded in thusness, then human being could be paralyzed by causation, unable to engage in fulfilled moments of moral and spiritual freedom and purity. Just as Nan Chuan's disciples were paralyzed by the master's challenge, unable to say anything. This constraints with the excellent performance of Chao Chu, a response drawing praise from both Nan Chuan and Dogan. Dogan. How does Dogan understand Chao Chu's response to Nan Chuan? 
This is best approached by introducing Dogen's notion of Hishryo without thinking. The Zazenshin chapter of the Shobo Genzo begins, the great teacher, Yashan Hankao, was practicing Zazen when a certain monk said, what do you think of doing Zazen? Yashan said, I think about not thinking about anything. When he said, when he then said, how is this done? Yeshan replied, by Hishu Shiro, without thinking. Did I read that right? Yes. Realizing this answer, we must study and correctly transmit Zazen. This is the practice of Zazen, which has been transmitted in the way. Though there are some tasks, though there are some talks about thinking in Zazen, yet this talk is one of them. I have no idea what I just read. Um, Nelda, why don't you like, read it? Why don't you read it again? It feels like uh, yes, feels like uh, they just write the same sentence again and again and again. <laughs> I vote for the next person to read it, and maybe it will make more sense. Okay. The great teacher Yue Shan Kung Tao was practicing Zazen when a certain monk said, What do you think of doing Zazen? Yue Shan said, I think about not thinking about anything. When he then said, How is this done? Yue Shan replied, By Hushiryo, without thinking. Realizing this answer, we must study and correctly transmit Zazen. This is the practice of Zazen, which has been transmitted in the way. Though there are some other talks about thinking in Zazen, yet this talk is one of them. Within this passage, we find three kinds of mental activity, thinking, not thinking, and without thinking. What is meant by the first two terms are processes familiar to all of us. We can certainly think about a cat, analyze it, worry over it, decide whether or not to kill it, and so forth. We can also not think about the cat or for that matter, anything at all. That is, we can stop the thinking process altogether. Beyond the dichotomy of thinking and not thinking, however, can be found without thinking. Is there humor so, here? I'm feeling humor. Is good. So I'm so, hearing the on. first to involve activity, the the process of uh, thinking, and the process or the the activity of not thinking. The energy there's an energy put into that, but in without thinking, it just happens it's almost intuitive embodied um just like breathing right you can think about your breathing you can not think about your breathing and there's sort of an introductory um process 
to not thinking about breathing, at least for me. And then there's this non-thinking where there's, where there isn't even, I mean, the, 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 the experience of breathing isn't even in the equation at all. So it doesn't require any process or energy or activity in your part. That's me. And I, AI may muck that all up, but we shall see. I want to see the transcript. Well, think of it, Nelda, when we were talking at lunch about the, um, the golden lotus, look how far off we went rather than enjoying this, this, this thing in front of us, the golden lotus, we, we were thinking about it and making up stories about it. And we never, well, my effort was, I'm sorry, it felt like I was making up stories. My effort at that time, which would, I guess, have been fallen into the category of a process and energy is, I get so tired of stories, of, of some kind of symbolism being in something. What if there's nothing? What if there's just nothing? In well, this? I think what, what Kashyapa or Monica Kashyapa, it's the same person, did is he simply smiled. He simply saw the thing. And that's what was so beautiful. He didn't think about, oh, th here's something that represents all of life, or here's something that, you know, he didn't make up a story. And we've all had that experience when we respond so quickly to something. Agreed. And then I, I, there's lots of stories about why he smiled. No, he just he just smiled. He was in the moment of what he was seeing without even labeling it, perhaps, whether it was golden or not, a flower or not. Maybe it was that beautiful moment of just watching the Buddha holding up something. It, it may have just been his delight in the presence of the Buddha and the gesture and nothing more. So that's what I was trying to get across. It. Yeah. So you've the word for this type of meditation is shinkantaza. You've okay, and uh, so Nelda read. So Cody again. Actually, it would be more accurate to describe without thinking as before thinking and not thinking. Some philosophers have written at considerable length to articulate and defend this concept. But for our purposes, a thumbnail sketch will suffice. Without thinking encapsulates what is meant by the pre-reflective pre experiences of life. We might, for example, suddenly find ourselves looking at a cat. In this initial moment of without thinking, there's only the experience of looking at the cat. Only subsequent to this moment does the mental act of thinking set in, wherein there emerges the sense of a subject, oneself or oneself, looking at an object, a cat. Thus, without thinking is a mental process prior to the this emergence of self and other in everyday life. Mundane as this without thinking may appear, in fact, it is central to both Dogen's moral theory and the theme of moral causation 
articulated in the Nanshuan passage. From without thinking, we see things as they really are. Genjo Kuan. Genjo Kuan is the title of the first chapter of the Shobo Genzo, and its foremost position in the text is indicative of the importance of this concept in Dogen's thought. The word is a conjunction of Genjo, presence itself, and Kuan. Interpretations of this concept differ. My own accords with the view that Dogen viewed Genjo itself to be a koan. In one sense, then, Genjo koan can be understood as the name of a koan, which, when correctly grasped, indicates things as they really are. Correctly grasping, this koan proceeds from the pre-reflective experience manifested by without thinking. And isn't I take things as they really are and thusness as being the same thing. Do you guys make that connection? Yes. It's hard to know when you get to the as they really are part, right? Unless you're really looking at what your thoughts and words are saying and that every thought and word that comes up about something as you're thinking you're seeing as it really is to question that um i love what i learned years ago when in at abamad in some class and that is to tell your child or each other or yourself we call that a flower or a rose we call that a flower because we really don't know things as they really are very often. I love, I've mentioned this before, I know, but I love the idea that God created the heaven and the earth and then gave man the job of naming things. You know, that that's such a kind of, a, it's, it's an experience, it's a different kind of experience and it's a, it's not things as they really are. Uh, once they're named, then they become that thing, the name as opposed to the flower or, or whatever. And we can turn away from it. I mean, I think we, people, you know, someone like a kid asks you, well, what's that? Well, that's a dandelion. And the kid says, oh, and like walks away thinking that they now know what that thing is. And it's so superficial, the, the name of something, as opposed to the, it, you know, what it is. Uh, so who just read? So it's me. A famous passage from the Genjo Koan states, to study the self is, oh, this is so important. In fact, I have it written right up there. To study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. This is probably the most quoted line of Dogen. To study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. And there you get the non-thinking. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things.
And we, I, I think we could say to forget the name is to be enlightened by the thing. All together. Okay. Being enlightened by all things expresses the mental activity of without thinking, wherein the self or also other is forgotten, because awareness of such distinctions is not present. No separate self is present to perceive other things. Rather, the self is all these things, and vice versa, in this moment, from without thinking flows the only identifiable reality, namely the unceasing, ever-changing, impermanent unfolding of experience. From without thinking enlightenment, therefore, we see things as they really are. Genjo Koan. For Dogen, Jungkook Cohen is none other than Prashna, or intuitive wisdom. Furthermore, Dogen is, no accord, is in accord with the Mahayana tradition in arguing that Prashna and Karuna, compassion, are not two. He also holds to the traditional Mahayana conception of right moral action as proceeding from Prashna Karuna. Thus, Dogen sees right moral action as properly proceeding from seeing things as they really are, which is manifest to us in moments of without thinking. The Zazenshin passage above, in conjunction with others, evidences the fact that the primary locus for the unfolding of this without thinking is Zazen. <clears throat> so Zazen is the primary form of moral self-cultivation. But koans are also employed in the Zen tradition as an efficacious method for developing and testing without thinking. When a master tests a student on a koan, it is a test of the quality of the state of without thinking, not the truth of the proposition or the content of the statement. Nantron's koan was delivered as a test, and Dogen is favorably assessing Chaotro's expression of without thinking. This is the same thing as saying that Dogen acknowledges the act as expressive of Chaotro's enlightenment, since this without thinking is none other than, quote, seeing things as they really are, and the, quote, intuitive wisdom compassion of the Buddha. Thus, the discussion of this koan is brought about to the same theme underlying the koan of Hyakujo's fox, namely, the character of enlightenment. Did that make sense to you? Yes. Oh, good. Did it make sense to you? Yes. And also I'm thinking about, <laughs> I shouldn't be thinking about, I'm thinking about uh, in the koan in, in, that we read, there's a verse, if you, if you understand why, why um, he put the shoes on his head, 
then, then you understand the koan or something. Do you guys remember that line? Yes. I don't remember how exactly it was. Expressed. Yeah. Yes. And I asked Peg about that um, the other day because it's so simple, you know, the, the thinking answer is so simple. That was, that was in those days, that was an expression of grief and it couldn't be that simple. So to really understand it without thinking is, is, um, is a challenge. And I, I still don't understand it, Kim. To put the shoes on the head was an expression of grief? Yes. But that's not the, you know, thinking that, that oh, I understand it is, is kind of like as shallow as labeling something and then thinking you know what it is. That's a dandelion. Here, I'll, I'll find the, the line. But I think also the antithesis is true. Thinking, Always. oh, I don't understand. I don't understand. I think also this is a posturing of sorts. Potentially. You're saying that, that uh, you wouldn't pass a koan just by simply saying, I don't understand, unless it was, um, you really got to that point. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, so while you're looking, Kim, I want to um, reply and, and focus on what Nadia just said. That's that's probably what keeps me so unsettled. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what I thought I understood what the meaning of putting the shoes on the head was. I thought I understood that it was such an appropriate action in that moment of, of how he felt about the cat being dead and felt toward the cat and all of life. And when I read that line that said, if you think you understand, then you've really missed it. I'm left with a sense of um, being blocked and blocked off somehow to the flow. And I don't know how to um, open that blockage, find that Dharma gate, except to do what I've done in the past, which is just put it down and and know through my experience that at some point I'll go, ah. Oh. But other than that, it still is like a little thorn in my side because I don't like blockages. I like Dharma gates. I think you expressed it perfectly, what you just said. I mean, that makes make sense to me that um, that's why that, that line is so beautiful. If, if you think you understand, you know how offensive it is when someone says, I really get you. Mm. I really understand your grief. I really know how you feel. Doesn't that bother you when someone says that? Because how can they understand without being in your body? I, I yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, th it doesn't upset me. I, no. I, I, I change the words to when someone says that to they understand grief. 
because we all do. Um, but you're right. No one can truly understand your personal grief. Even if you've just lost a child and they've just lost a child, it's a, it's, it's grief, but it's a, it's a different experience for each of you because you've had a different life with that child than they have with theirs. And they're not going through a thought. They're kind of in a place, another place. Mm -hmm. And you're not in that place. It's, so. That's kind of why it disturbed me when like during COVID and people feeling so isolated and people would say, we're all in the same boat. And I, I wanted to say, you know, we're all in our own boats on the same friggin' torrent of water. And we were separated. Yes. And we were taking things very differently. I think that's what you're saying too, isn't it? Everybody's experience was, was very individual, just as Nelda described. And there's a story, I think I mentioned this too once on a Wednesday night, but there's a story about 11 photographers line up on the edge of a cliff and they're taking exactly the same picture. Um, and um, all the pictures come out differently. So that, you know, I keep thinking of that. I heard that story years ago, that that's indicative of the fact that, that we're, we all, even though we're all looking at the same thing, we see things completely different. Okay, what's next? Who's next? Did Nelda disappear? No, I'm here. I just don't know who's next. Oh, who just read? I don't remember. Nelda just read. Okay. I think. Sure, let's say that. Okay. Did you? <laughs> I don't remember. And which line are we on? I think it's, I think we're on, even if you cannot speak, I will cut the cat. Into okay. Two. Okay. So after Nelda is Cody. No, is, yes. Even if you cannot speak, Cody. Even if you cannot speak, I will cut the cat indicates that Dogen will not accept any answer evolving from the process of thinking, wherein we may, for example, conceptualize the cat as an object that we can take a stand about and either help or not help. Even if he cannot speak, I will cut the, still cut the cat, indicates that he will also not accept an answer from not thinking, that is, a negating attitude towards process of thinking itself. In other words, the disciples cannot simply ignore and thus answer Dogen's challenge by not thinking. Who is arguing about the cat? It can be read as a rhetorical question pointing out the real concern here, not the cat, but enlightenment, while also serving to chastise the monks for wasting time over the cat. Who can save the cat? Echo, echoes Nantron's challenge to demonstrate without thinking enlightenment. 
And th this reinforces for me the idea that that Nancham is a um, teacher, and what he cares about is the enlightenment of his students. He doesn't care. I mean, the, there is that thing about chastising them for wasting time, but but if it was simply that, he wouldn't be much of a teacher. Um, Dogen further notes how he would have answered for the assembly standing before Nanshuan. We cannot say, Master, please cut the cat. This would be an acknowledgement and concession of an unenlightened assembly that recognizes the invalidity of responding on a thinking or not thinking level, while still being unable, while still unable to respond from without thinking. But Dogen then proceeds to say, then again, I might have said, you know how to cut the cat in two with one sword, but you don't know how to cut the cat in one with one sword. In the statement above, Dogen indicates that he might have offered a counter challenge to Nanchum. Nanchum. Zen tradition records several instances of Dharma combat where in one master seeks to test and spur the enlightenment of another master. In this instance, Dogen maintains that he might have turned the tables on Nam Chung. The sword in this passage pulls double duty as a metaphor. In the first clause, it refers to thinking and not thinking mental functions. In the second clause, it refers to without thinking. So the counter challenge translates roughly as, you know how to cut the cat in two, objectify the cat, make it an object for discrimination and conceptualization separate from you with thinking or and or not thinking but can you cut the cat in one, i.e. see the cat prior to discrimination and conceptualization and the dualistic rise of self and other by means of without thinking. Um, Malen, if you wanna read that uh, paragraph, I think that's a good paragraph. If you wanna read it again. Yes. In the statement Isn't above. In the statement above, Dogen indicates that he might have offered a counter challenge to Nanshuan. Zen tradition records several instances of Dharma combat, wherein one master seeks to test and spur the enlightenment of another master. In this instance, Dogen maintains that he might have turned the tables on Nanshuan. The sword in this passage pulls double duty as a metaphor. In this first clause, it refers to the thinking and not thinking mental functions. And in the second clause, it refers to without thinking. So the counter challenge translates roughly as, you know how to cut the cut in two. This is objectifying the cut. 
make it an object for discrimination and conceptualization separate from you with thinking and or not thinking. But can you cut the cut in one? This is see the cut prior to discrimination and conceptualization, conceptualization and the dualistic rise of the self of self another by means of without thinking. So you know that Manjushri is the Bodhisattva of wisdom and he's always pictured with a sword. But I've never thought before reading this paragraph of what he might be doing with the sword and he might be cutting the cat in one to get to the real business. It's a very clarifying passage. Yeah, I think this is a great paragraph, but doesn't the koan, which I read some time ago, doesn't it say there is a question that's posed and and then it said something like, uh, if, if you can't answer, I will cut the cat or something. I mean, something. Well, I'll read it again, the koan I have right here. Okay. One day at Nanquan's, the Eastern and Western halls were arguing, arguing over a cat. When Nanquan saw this, he took and held it up and said, if you can speak, I won't cut it. The group had no reply. Nanquan then cut the cat in two. Nanquan also brought up the foregoing incident to Zhao Zhou and asked him. Zhao Zhou immediately took off his sandals, put them on his head, and left. Nanquan said, if you had been here, you could have saved the cat. So there's not really a question. It's if you can speak. I, was, I won't cut it. I won't cut. Thank you. Okay. And the verbiage, and there's many translations, and they're all different, but I think they're they're pretty similar too. Now that was a good paragraph. Like, what what would Manjushri do with the sword? How does that create wisdom? How does a sword? What are you slashing through? I don't know okay. why this came up, but it did. I remember reading, seeing, hearing somewhere this lovely little phrase that reminds us that we are not separate, and that and that little phrase is, "I am the universe looking back at myself." So not separate from anything and having the wonderful opportunity through this embodied um, presence with these tools of sight and sound and touch and taste and all of the senses to see myself, which is everything that is out there. And um, I, that's all I have. I always thought Nanjushri was cutting through delusion so another way of saying cutting through delusion would be cutting objects into one exactly i think i mean i agree 
Yeah. We are, we are all everything. Cut the cat in one. Mm -hmm. And this all, of, this all uh, thinking and non-thinking has reminded me uh, an experience I once asked this young Korean monk about, I think it was about Zazen. And he said, I will try to explain in this 20 minutes. And he explained it how um, you are trying while meditating to go to the, let's say, source of all the thoughts. And he described it as a river where you have a lot of thoughts and then you try to go to the origin of those and then you try to hold to a stone and the current tries to get you away. But then you fix uh, to that stone and go backward and backward and backward until you are at the, let's say, beginning of the gate of your own mind without thinking. And all of this reminded me like a reverse camera, you know, like the cut cutting in two parts and then going where it is just one. I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, it makes sense. Thank you. Okay, so I read, so um, Melena's next. I think I read. Oh, okay, then um, Nandia. Oh, I'm sorry, where are we? At this point? Wait, no. As we have seen? Yes, as we have seen. As we have seen. No, it's a previous paragraph. Oh, okay. Speaking <laughs> further? This one, well, yeah, two, both, two people read the other one. Uh -huh. Okay. Seeking further clarification, Ejo asks, what is cutting the cat in one with one sword? In other words, what is the cat viewed from without thinking? That is, prior to discrimination, conceptualization, and the separation of self and other. Jogan's reply is simple, the cat itself. Quite simply, before the operations of thinking and not thinking, we experience via the openness of without thinking. The, cat, the operations, operations. Via the operations of without thinking, the cat itself. That is the cat as it really is. As we have seen, Dogen indicates how he himself would have presented the challenge to the assembly were he in Nantuan's place. He also indicates how he would have reacted to Nantuan's challenge where were he a member of the assembly. What follows next in the text is an account of how he himself would have reacted to the assembly's failure to respond were he the challenger. When the assembly could not Forgive me, my glasses aren't working very well. My eyes can't work well with them. When the assembly could not respond, and if I had been Nantron, I would have released the cat, since the assemblage had already said they could not answer. An old master has said, in expressing full function, there are no fixed methods. Dogen's commentary on the Nantron story indicates that he thinks it would have been better not to kill the cat under the circumstances. Why Do Dogen thinks so is easier to discern after we understand his explanation of the nature of the master's action, an explanation he will soon offer. 
Therefore, I will set aside an interpretation of this passage until then. At this point, we can return again to the text, where we find Dogen expanding on his explanation of his proposed counter-challenge to Nanshuang, namely, to cut the cat in one with one sword, when one sword. Dogen proceeds to explain that this cutting of the cat is an expression of full function in Buddhism. Dogen is resuming his discussion by reiterating the point that to cut the cat in one with one sword expresses the perspective of the cat from the without thinking response. It is a pivot word, i.e. a phrase leading to enlightenment. He immediately adds, thus we can say that the cutting of the cat in one with one sword not only metaphorically expresses expresses the perspective of without thinking, but indeed is a phrase that seeks to lead one to manifest without thinking. Dogen proceeds to elaborate on these two points separately. Following the order of presentation, he begins with a discussion of this cutting of the cat as expressing full function. He proceeds to advance his argument by bringing out a hypothetical point. If it were not, mountains, rivers, and the great sea could not be said to be mined, unexcelled, pure, and clear. We can follow this point if we read in light of a passage of the Shobogenzo taken from the chapter titled Sokushin Sabutsu. This correctly transmitted mind the Sokushin Sabutsu is all things and vice versa. Therefore, an ancient Zen master said, if one realizes the Buddha mind, there is no other inch of the earth. Between two ancient high monks, there was this dialogue. What is the wondrous, clear and bright mind? It is mountains, rivers and earth or the sun, moon, and stars. It is now clear that the, the mind is mountains or stars, but when we try to add something to mind, it runs short. When we try to detract something from it, it becomes too much. Um, we're, we're about halfway through I propose that we stop here and continue next week. This is pretty heavy. How do you guys feel? That sounds good, Kim. So, um, so I have a question for, sure. for everyone. Yes. I know I have enjoyed holding this cat all these weeks. How does everyone else feel about holding this cat another week? You mean like finishing the text? Well, for some people it might be, I don't know what I mean. I guess for some people I'd be like, I'm so tired of talking about the cat. Can we move on? And for others it might be, Oh, I love this. That's me. 
oh, I love this. Can we talk one more week about this cat? And so I just want to just kind of read the pulse of where everyone is, if possible. I found I, I gleaned two really important pieces of wisdom from it. So I, I, um, I'm always surprised when I come back to it. I think that um, everything we're reading really applies to all the koans too. So, uh, but going into this koan with the depth that we are, I think is really helpful. I mean, this kind of added so many dimensions, didn't it? Uh, Cody, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Is this making sense to you at all? Yeah, the, the deeper we go into it, the more it makes sense. Good. And I, <laughs> I want to ask uh, Fathom. I'll send you, I'll send you what Fathom puts together from, maybe, maybe we'll understand it better. <laughs> when Fathom does, you know, it was funny too, is, is we talked about whether Fathom thinks or doesn't think. And then read about non-thinking, so we'll see what Fathom does. Malen, how about you? I think it will summarize that we didn't know where we were, you know, the line that we were, and nobody could remember who read the last time. Okay. Yeah, it will tell who, who what mistakes we made in terms of order and stuff. Yeah, I want to continue reading about the kind. Oh, good, good. Nandi, okay. are you okay with that? Is Nandia still, are you there, Nandia? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um, oh, good, good. Well, thank you all for playing with the cat, with non-thinking. See you soon. Hopefully, yes. Thank you for uh, for you. Okay. Good night. Good night. Good night.